you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2? Revelation chapter 2. Again, reading in a few moments with verse 18. Only in church, and not in all churches anymore, do you ever hear much mention of sin. We don't talk much about sin in society as general. There are not many things that we consider to be sin anymore. But there is one thing that our society harshly condemns. And if you appear to be or speak something that seems to be the least bit intolerant, then you are going to be harshly criticized, you're going to be berated, you're going to be labeled with, you know, unflattering names, you're going to perhaps lose some friends, and you may even lose your job. Now, hold that thought for a little bit, and then think about it a little bit later in this message. We've been working through the book uh, of the part of Revelation that is Christ speaking to seven churches that were in the New Testament world. What he says to those churches, he says to churches today. So the words he spoke to them apply to us as well. There's been a pattern to what Christ speaks to these churches. First of all, you get a character, characterization of Christ. You see some element of what Christ is like. Then he commends the church for the good things they're doing. Then he reprimands the church for something that shouldn't be there. He gives some instruction about what they need to do. And he ends with a promise. And we're going to see that pattern today. We're going to be looking today at the church in Thyatira. Now, Thyatira was a city, and it was a relatively small city compared to some of the other cities where the other churches were that were going to be addressed. And it also was a city that was a city of craftsmen, a city of merchants, you know, and they, they had what was called corporate guilds. A guild is an association of craftsmen, an association of merchants, and, you know, a lot of what went on in the city revolved around what took place, you know, in the businesses of the city. It was an important trading point. You know, because they produced so many things like leather goods, like cloth, uh, like pottery, uh, it was a trading center. One of the things they produced was a purple dye. And so they sold the purple dye and they sold fabrics made from that purple dye. If you remember the story over in Acts about uh, a saleswoman named Lydia, she was a merchant in that purple cloth. And she was in Philippi selling the wares. So this was a city that was an important trading point. It was connected by a major Roman road to some other places. So a lot of trade that was there. And because of all this trade, it was a prosperous city. You know, they were well off financially as a city, and the people in the city were. Now there was a church there. And the church there in Thyatira was uh, a church that was uh, not persecuted that we know of. Now, no mention is made about any persecution, unlike the church last week that we studied at Pergamum, where one of their members had been killed by, you know, been put to death, been martyred, you know, by the powers that be. 
Now, it didn't seem to be taking place there, but there was a problem there, and the problem there was moral corruption. There was an internal problem in the church that Christ had to address. So what was he going to say to a church that lived in a prosperous time but had some trouble with the morality of its members? Let's see. First of all, we get a characterization of Christ here in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Yeah. These characterizations of Christ are telling us something about who Christ is and what He does. This one says He is the Son of God. Now, think about that. We, we, we hear it so much in the church, we don't think about it a lot. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God incarnate who came to live among us. There is no other religious leader that ever has been or ever will be who is the same as or the equal as Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is proved to be the Son of God by His resurrection. So Jesus is the Son of God. And then it talks about eyes like blazing fire. In other words, a penetrating gaze. Eyes that can see all that takes place. All that can see even what goes on inside of us. The all-knowing Christ. The proverb says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The eyes of Christ are everywhere. Nothing escapes His notice. Penetrating eyes, blazing eyes, eyes that, you know, you've seen a look that someone has that you just know you've upset them, or you know you've done something wrong, or you see the anger flash. Blazing eyes. Feet of bronze. Now that seems a little silly to us today, but it's carrying a message. It means that he has the power to trample on his enemies and grind them into oblivion. It's showing his power. So that's the Christ that is speaking to that church and the Christ that is speaking to this church. Well, he had a commendation for them. I know your deeds your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Boy, that's a lot of commendation. Jesus said, I know. So far, every one of these churches that we've looked at in Revelation, Jesus has said to them, I know. He said, I, I, I know that to Ephesus that you, know, you are holding the faith in the midst of those who want to drag you away from the faith. He said to Pergamum, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. He said to Smyrna, I, I know that your poverty and your affliction because of the persecution. He knows what we have to go through, what we have to struggle with, what we do right. And that church did something right. It was a church where love was still there. Ephesus has lost its first love. They hadn't lost their love. They still loved the Lord. They still loved one another. They had faith in the sense of faithfulness. They were still being faithful to the Lord. 
They were serving the Lord. They were engaged in ministry to one another and probably to people otherwise outside the church who had need. They were involved doing some good things. They persevered. They didn't get sidetracked. They didn't give up. They kept at it. And I really like this when it says, I like your progress. You know, a church is supposed to keep making progress. They're not supposed to sit down and do nothing from now on. We're supposed to keep growing as individual Christians. We're to keep growing and, and serving as a church, doing more and more for the Lord. Christ commended them for that. I know you're doing now more than you did. Boy, what a commendation. But there was a reprimand. Look at verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teachings, she lead, misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The church was reprimanded. Why were they reprimanded? They were too tolerant. Now, boy, doesn't that go against the grain of our society. Christ came to a church and said, you're too tolerant. Now, he wasn't saying you've got to be judgmental. He wasn't saying you need to be more self-righteous. That's not what he was talking about. They were just letting things take place that shouldn't take place. And the problem centered around a prophetess that was in the church. Now, prophets were, you know, people, there were some in New Testament times. Remember that it was before they had the whole Bible that they could refer to. And the prophets would go around and they would not so much tell about the future. They might do that. But primarily, they told the requirements of God. They said, I have received a revelation from God, and I'm going to bring you this revelation. And so, in most places, in most times, they were respected. But did you notice what he says about this prophetess? He says that she calls herself a prophetess. Did you know they're leaders in the church? Did you know that there are preachers in the church who are self-called instead of God-called? No, God didn't call them into service. They just thought one day, well, you know, I think I've got some kind of special idea of what things ought to be like, and I'm going to go make it known. John, who wrote Revelation, also wrote this in his Gospel First John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Just because somebody clothes themselves with the mantle of the ministry doesn't mean they're speaking to you a word from God. There are false prophets in the world and sometimes in the church that really lead people astray, and this is evidently what this prophet was doing. She was leading the church members into sin. Now, what we think was taking place there is that, remember they had all of these trade guilds, these craftsmen's guilds, and, you know, if you were going to get a job, if you were going to keep a job, you probably had to be a member of one of those guilds. Kind of like, you know, a closed shop state where you have a real strong labor union. And so the idea was that, you know, you participated with what went on with your guild, to stay in good standing with your guild. Now, some of these guilds would have 
feasts. And the meat at the feast would be dedicated to a pagan deity. And sometimes after these feasts, there would be sexual immorality with the priestesses of this you know, particular deity. So, you know, the, the, the believers were having to struggle, how far do I go? Where do I stop? Where do I say, no, I can't do that? You know, they, they were just struggling with the issue. And so evidently this prophetess comes along and she says, you don't need to worry about that. You're saved by grace. You can live like you please. You just, you know, accept Jesus as Savior and then however else you want to live, that's all right. Did you notice what Jesus called a person? Did you call this woman that had that kind of theology? He called her Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a character from the Old Testament. There was an Israelite king one time whose name was Ahab. And Ahab had married this foreign princess named Jezebel. And she served Baal instead of the Lord God. And when she became queen, she egged Ahab into all sorts of mischievous actions, but also she was bound and determined to stamp out the worship of God and institute the worship of Baal. And so she started killing off the Lord's prophets and people who followed him and started, you know, putting Baal worship all over the land. In other words, she was someone who wasn't serving God. She was pulling people away from God, having them worship a false god. And this prophetess there, Jesus said, is Jezebel. She's a false prophet. She's not helping people really come to the place where they know God and serve God. She's really keeping people from coming to know who God is and serving Him as He should be. Now, we face similar problems today, don't we? The church are being, is being pressured into accepting sinful people who have not repented. They refuse to repent of their sin. They even refuse to acknowledge their sin as sin. And the church is supposed to say, okay, come on, we accept you. You know, God's a loving God. It doesn't matter how you live. You know, you just come on and, and worship with us and serve with us and, and that will be great. Some teach in the church today that, you know, God accepts everyone and is pleased with them no matter how they live. They can live like the devil, and that's all right to God. And it, it's amazing to me how current what was said to Thyatira applies to our society today and to some of our churches today and to some of our denominations today. For they're going exactly contrary to what the Word of God says. They are not holding up that you've got to turn from your sin. And when did the Bible quit preaching that? Some of you in Sunday school this morning studied John the Baptist. What was his message? Repent. When Jesus started his ministry, what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
We have to turn away from our sin. We can't mislabel it or call it not sin, if the Bible calls it sin, and think that that's all right. People are being led away from righteousness and into sin. And it's not the work of God. It's the work of Satan. Christ says that those who lead people into sin and those who are enticed by that sin will both be judged. Look at verses 21 through 23. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Christ pronounces judgment. She's had the opportunity to repent. She wouldn't do it. She turned her back on that opportunity. So sort of a poetic justice is coming. Instead of a bed of adultery, there will be a bed of suffering, a bed of illness. Now, when he says, I will strike her children dead, he's not talking there about her, you know, literal children or physical children. He's talking about her spiritual children, those who adopt her practices, who accept her teaching, and who follow her ways. Jesus said, then the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will pay each of you according to your deeds. Do you know that's a continuing theme throughout the Bible? Jeremiah, Jeremiah the Lord says, I the Lord search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Jesus said the same thing. He said, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Our faith is going to be made evident by our deeds. And if our lives are full of misdeeds, then there may be something wrong with our faith. Christ expects us as his followers to be righteous, to be holy, to be godly. The scripture says, for the grace of the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love and mercy of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does that grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God expects His people to be righteous. In fact, if we are His people, we will be righteous. Listen again to what John wrote in 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he had been born of God. If you've been born of God, born again, born of God the Father, born from above, 
then God has put His seed in you and you're becoming more and more a child of God. That doesn't mean you're not ever going to slip up and sin, but it means you're not going to take the bit in your teeth and run into sin and keep running into it and refuse to turn away from it. It means you're going to feel bad when you do sin and that sin is reported out to you and you're going to, with God's help, turn away from it. We won't continue to just live as we please. We won't continue to live as the world tells us we ought to be living. And then Christ gives some instruction. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, that is those who haven't been following the teachings of this false prophet, that you do not, have, to you who do not hold her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus said, don't be led into sin. Don't let someone trick you into believing sin is all right or that sin doesn't hurt or that sin doesn't matter to God or that sin won't harm you. Do not follow those who claim a deeper knowledge of God's ways. You know, you notice they turned that around. Evidently, this prophet was talking about she knew some of God's deep secrets and Jesus, that's just Satan. It's not God's secrets, it's Satan's things. You better watch out when somebody says, I've got a new revelation, and I know something other believers don't know, and I'm going to let you become a part of my group who knows the real truth. You could pretty much be sure that's not God. Same thing with those who claim to have a new revelation from God whose revelation goes beyond the Scripture. There are some groups among us that says, oh, we've got another Bible besides the Bible. We follow the Bible. We've got another Bible. Better watch out. It's not a Bible from God. Keep holding to the clear teaching of the Bible, the Word of God. We've got what the Christians at Thyatira didn't have. We've got the Bible. We've got the New Testament. We've got the clear teaching of God's Word. So we know. And then Christ gives his promise. <clears throat> to the, him who overcomes and who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them <clears throat> to pieces like pottery, just, I, <clears throat> excuse me, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give to him the morning star. Now what's he seeing here? When ancient kings came to their coronation, sometimes they would be clay pots that had the names of the enemies of that king or the enemies of that nation, other nations, you know, printed or inscribed on those clay pots. And the new king would take his scepter and just crack open all those pots. It was a picture of triumph over the enemy. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to ultimately triumph, and if you're mine, if you've been faithful to the end, you will share in my rule. You will share in my victory. I will give him the morning star. In Daniel it says, those who turn many to righteousness will sign like the stars forever and ever. I think it's a promise of eternal life. Jesus just gives us eternal life. It's a gift. We'll take it on his terms. He gives it to us. Listen to what Christ is saying. Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What was Christ saying? He's saying, I want to pull you away from sin. I want to pull you away from the things that aren't true, from gods that are false. 
He said, I want to correct you and I want to instruct you in the way in which you should go. And he's saying, don't be too tolerant. Problem with the church at Thyatira is they had someone in that church who was a member of the church who was, you know, teaching the wrong doctrines and most of the people knew it. They just didn't do anything about it. They were too tolerant of it. Jesus says, don't be too tolerant. Don't be too tolerant of sin. Don't let it in your own life. Don't be tolerant of it. You know, there's some things we just can't tolerate. I like to keep my vehicles up well. I change my own oil and filter and that sort of thing. I change the oil when it's supposed to be changed. I change those filters when it's supposed to be changed. Why? Because I don't want any dirt down in that engine. I'm intolerant of dirt in my engines. Why? Because it will destroy them. You know, leave off your air filter, let it get clogged up, never change your oil filter. You know, sooner or later... And probably sooner than later, your engine's going to wear out. So I'm intolerant of dirt in my engine. Several years ago, my wife got cancer. Cancer was in her body. You know what? She and I and all the medical personnel were completely and totally intolerant of that cancer. We had it cut out. We had it zapped with so much chemotherapy, and chemotherapy almost killed her. We had it radiated with radiation, 30 treatments of it. We were intolerant of it. Why? It would kill her if something wasn't done. We were intolerant. You've got to be intolerant of sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. Spiritual death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God being cast into the lake of fire. You can't tolerate sin no matter who tells you you can because sin kills eternally. Don't be too tolerant. I want you to back up now and I want you to do something else. You heard what Christ is saying. Revelation has been giving us some images of Christ. You know, we have in our minds some images of Christ. We have some ideas about Christ that come from some of those images. That good things, you know, correct things. One we love, one we love is Jesus as the good shepherd. You know, he has a little lamb in his arm and he's, you know, he's got a staff. Jesus is a good shepherd. You know, we, we like that image, don't we? That's a good image. You notice the image of Christ that we're getting here in Revelation? It says he has a dark, dark, has a sharp, double-edged sword in his mouth. It says his eyes are like blazing fire. His feet are like bronze. Don't miss that image. Don't miss the image of the Christ who sees all and knows all and goes to war against his enemies. Don't miss the image of Christ upon the cross. Sin is deadly. It put to death the Son of God. He went to that cross willingly so that we might not have to be eternally cut off from life. 
He died on that cross to give us life. Get an image of Christ risen from the dead, victorious over sin, victorious over the grave. Get a vision of Jesus ascended into heaven at the right hand of God who is one day going to come and establish His kingdom. Get the total picture of Jesus. Don't just stop at the Good Shepherd. He is. He always will be. But that's not all He is. You need to understand all who He is. Now, is there some sin in your life you need to quit tolerating? You know what's there. You know what it is. Spirit of God reveals to you what it is. You've been tolerating it. Others tolerate it. But if you're a child of God, it makes you uneasy. And you know deep down in your heart you shouldn't be caught up in it. Maybe today you need to repent and say, God, I'm turning away from it, and with your help, I'm not going back. Maybe today you need to rededicate yourself to following all that Christ is. Not just one image, but all of them. Maybe today you need to come to the one who searches hearts and minds, will triumph over his enemies, and will reward people according to what they have done. And you know you need to do what's right, and you know you can't do it on your own power. You know you can't go back and make up for the sins you've already committed. You know that today you need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. He died on the cross and rose again so that you could be forgiven, justified, put right with God. He died and rose again so that He might send His Spirit into us so that we might live the righteous way that pleases God. Today, it's time to stop tolerating sin. It's time to stop following an inadequate vision of Christ. It's time to start receiving the eternal life He offers and the time to start living a righteous, holy, godly life. Our invitation hymn is 587.